Hi, we are Hannah Huppy, Bill Hoyle, and Hunter Dole, and you're listening to Steady State Podcast. Sit ready. Sit ready. Here at Steady State Podcast, we're really interested in backstories, real life experiences on and off the water that make people the rowers, coaches, and coxswain they are today. From indoor rowing to flat water masters to coastal and ocean adventurers, we celebrate you who represent the global humanity of our sport. Together, we disrupt and expand the narrative about rowing culture. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're coming back for another episode, thanks for being here. On the last episode, we wrapped up a four-part series on gender identity policies in rowing. When Bobby Kaiser and David Scherzer found rowing, they each fell in love with the challenge of making boats move well. But when it comes to racing, the current U.S. rowing categories don't really work for trans and non-binary athletes like them. And both have been challenged to push the norms or settle for a space where they aren't truly themselves. If you missed it, listen anytime at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast or anywhere you get podcasts. And while you're there, could you leave us a review? When you do, it helps our podcast get noticed and reach more ears. Steady State Podcast is sponsored in part by Barb, Concept2, and EB5 Investors. The world's toughest row is a 2,800-mile race across the Pacific Ocean. On June 12, 2024, teams will leave Monterey, California and race to Kauai, Hawaii in unsupported, man-powered ocean rowing boats. Hannah Huppy, Philip Doyle, and Hunter Duell of Horizon Racing join us to talk about training, their goal of breaking the mixed four world record for rowing across the mid-Pacific Ocean, and about fundraising for Laureus Sport for Good USA. My name is Hannah Huppy. I learned to row in 2007. I've rowed for Tulane University, Alexandria Rowing Club, New Orleans Rowing Club, and the U.S. Beach Sprint National Team. I have coached for the New Orleans Rowing Club junior team. And when I'm not at the boathouse, I'm running my indoor rowing studio called ErgoFit or hanging out with my three-year-old Hazel. That was super polished. Oh, my gosh. So, hi, my name is Phil Hoyle. I learned to row at West Springfield High School. Um, I rowed for West Springfield High School, the University of Washington, the U19 uh, U.S. National Team, Occoquan Boat Club and Potomac Boat Club, and a few other clubs. I currently coach for West Springfield High School, and when I'm not at the boathouse, I'm with my family. I have four kids. My name it is Hunter Duell, and I learned to row my senior year of high school at Oakland Strokes. I then went on to row for uh, UC Berkeley, and I rowed there for four years and had a quick stint rowing for uh, Sochetta Canotieri Forense, and now I row for Open Water Rowing Center. And when I'm not at the boathouse, I am usually taking photos by the water, in the water, something around the water. So the way we start our podcast every week is we ask you, on a scale of zero to 10, how is your rowing week going? And of course, this means last week because we're recording on a Monday. But how is your rowing week going? On a scale of one to 10, my rowing week last week was probably a six. I'm recovering from a lower back injury, a herniated disc in my L5-S1. So I've been having a little bit of a rocky summer as far as rowing, but I got to coach some really awesome classes at ErgoFit. I did get to row a little bit and uh, slowly, slowly coming back to it. So 
six, but I see a seven on the horizon for this week. I like that. Seven on the horizon. I dig that. I think I'm not not far off. Like I had like a, a decent training week, kind of settling into some of like the longer erg pieces this week. I feel like I'm working towards an eight. It's not perfect because I'm still so used to, you know, sitting down and doing like max, you know, three by 20 every week with the team at Cal. So like sitting down and doing 120 minutes on your own is mentally challenging. But um, I feel like I'm getting a rhythm down as far as listening to a podcast for the first hour and then working into hardcore EDM. <laughs> not not losing a full two hours, but I'd probably say around an eight. Yeah, I'd say my rolling week last week has been a seven or an eight. I was able to get on the water five times last week. So um, anytime you're on the water, even if it's not the perfect session, it's a good it's a good day and a good start to the day. Okay, so to help our listeners get to know our guests, uh, we like to put you through a lightning round of questions we call the hot seat. Are you ready? No, but let's go. Probably not. <laughs> okay. Each of you will answer the question and we'll go in this order. Not Philip and Hunter. Okay. Port or starboard? Port. Starboard. Starboard. Sweep or skull? Skull. Skull. Sweep. Bow seat, stroke seat, or engine room? Stroke. Engine room. Engine room. Or three. I don't really know where that falls. Princess seat. <laughs> Head race, sprint race, beach sprint, or endurance? Endurance. Yes. Sprint race? Oh, no. (laughs) All right. That'd be a long one. A lot of sprints. (laughs) That's a lot of intervals. Yeah, she's just breaking about the. We're going to do 500 on, 500 off. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Flat water, coastal, or ocean rowing? Coastal, soon to be ocean. Yeah, I think that we have to say ocean right now. Ocean. Unisuit or tank and trow? Tank and sports bro. I'm from the South. Hot. Unisuit. Union tank. Favorite Cox command to give or receive? Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know. I've been sculling for too long. Oh, I got mine. Pass. <laughs> Last 10. Faster in the second half. All right. Favorite place to row? Waveland, Mississippi. Why Waveland, Mississippi? Where we do a lot of our coastal training. It's just a beautiful little place where we can just go row by ourselves in the ocean. Wow. Occoquan Reservoir. It is like pristine, flat 90% of the time. It is gorgeous there. I'd say Lake Natoma. Best piece of rowing advice you've ever received? Rowing will... Take you places, like travel the world, the, the mm. coolest places because I've gone there to race. In college, one of my coaches during an erg test said that um, it's going to hurt the same whether you pull poorly or pull well. You might as well do well. I love that. My coach once said that there's more to life than rowing and there's more to rowing than rowing. Well, both Hunter and Phil come from these incredibly competitive, huge D1 programs that Actually, the people say who are in it that they major in rowing and they minor in whatever their actual study is. So I can understand. Okay. Oh, Rachel, last one. 
Oh, and uh, last question. Coffee before or after a row? After. After. Before, during, and after. <laughs> uh, you know, we come from like mostly early morning uh, rowing, right? You would get off the water and you'd go out for coffee with your friends. Now, I've become an afternoon rower. But still, the idea finishing up your practice and going to have a coffee. So we're, we're kind of curious if that's a thing that people still do and whether or not they um, subscribe to the coffee life. I think we all prescribe to the coffee life. We do. It, yeah. it sounds like it. Yeah, sounds like it. Okay, so I want to roll back in time and we want to know what was going on in your life when you learned to row. I started rowing in 2007 when I went to Tulane. I didn't even know what rowing was and uh, I got pulled into the first practice and they told me I'd be good at it because I was tall and uh, here I am 15 years later about to row across the ocean. So it stuck. Yeah, I got into rowing earlier my freshman year of high school. I really wanted to play basketball and got cut from the team. And then there was a announcement that day or that week that there was a rowing meeting after school. And I was like, I want to be an athlete. So I went and the coach just grabbed me and wouldn't take no. So I take it you're tall. Well, I'm I'm six two. So yeah. Well, and I was six two in my freshman year of high school. Yeah. Being a high school rowing coach now, if you saw a six two kid who was looking for a sport, <laughs> you'd probably grab him as well, right? Absolutely. Um, I started rowing the summer going into my senior year of high school, kind of similar to Phil, where I really wanted to play volleyball, but had, I was cut a year prior from the team and I was feeling pretty lost, but still continued doing like what I knew, which was like Olympic weightlifting. And my dad had signed me up for learn to row camp at Oakland Strokes and, you know, college applications were coming up and I was like, you're ruining my last summer at home and then met a coach there who you know, asked like, have you ever thought about rowing in college? I was like, what, what is this? So things change pretty fast, but yeah. So you must've taken to it. Obviously. I feel like a lot of different things kind of came together, like from having like a strength background to like loving the water. I definitely had never done that much cardio in my life before. <laughs> Each of you came into it in your own way and do you, what do you remember about like those earliest days, maybe that first season what did you like about it? What got you hooked? I think just the team aspect of it, because, you know, early on, you know, rowing in eights in high school and college, it's very dependent on everybody being there in the team. Like if one person didn't show up, we wouldn't have practice. When I went, it was a much smaller team than currently now when we have like six eights worth of guys, we had one eight and a few spares that did other things. So just having the level of team and the camaraderie there was the big thing. We hear that from a lot of folks that even if they don't know that that's what they're looking for, that's what they get. And that's why they stick around. Yeah. At all ages, you know, whether they start rowing at 50 or they start rowing at 14, they all find that sense of community right away. Hey, what else? What got you hooked? I feel like it was the first sport and I'm not quite sure how to put this, but the first sport where I was able to like challenge myself in a measurable manner, if that makes sense. Like I had thrown, you know, discus for years and obviously your distance is like your key measurement. But with rowing, there was so much that I didn't know, so much I had to learn. And like the progress was addicting. 
you know, sitting down and like doing my first 2K. I was like, oh, wow, this is great. Everyone does this. You're saying like everyone on every team does this and you kind of measure yourself, you know, against your teammates and like against yourself. Like that's that's the best feeling ever. So I, I feel like I got addicted with kind of learning more, trying to get better every day. And same thing as Phil, where it's like, okay, now you're you're not on your own. There's seven other people in the boat who are doing the same exact thing. Like, that's really, really cool. So I'd never really been in that kind of position before. Yeah, we hear that a lot about the interdependence of the sport being so unique. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's different from like my brother grew up running track and you might be competing against like a million other people and comparing like mile times or something. But this is cool because you're taking all those mile times and compiling them into one single boat. Like, I think that's like the most special feeling ever. Yeah. And do you remember in the, the early days of being in boats and what you loved about it? Yeah, I, I think similar to what Phil said is it was my freshman year of college. I immediately found a, a huge family and it was the best group to kind of go through the whole four years with. I I even met my husband my freshman year on the team. So really turned into family. So that feeling of belonging was definitely it. Yeah. Steady State Podcast is sponsored in part by Breakwater Realty Group. Daydreaming of new lakes, rivers, and coastlines to row and play on? Consider a home in Maine. The Breakwater Realty Group, brokered by EXP Realty, can help you find your home away from home or relocate to a new primary home with ease. Connect with the team by visiting breakwaterrealtygroup.com and scheduling an obligation-free buying consultation. Maine, it's the way life should be. Listen to more episodes about everything from indoor rowing to rowing across oceans. Search the podcast archive at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast or listen on your favorite podcast app. In two, we're back with Hannah, Philip, and Hunter. That's one, two. So we know that each one of you has had successful careers as rowers, moving from high school to college, and for Hannah and Phil, moving on to master's rowing. Hunter, you're finding a rowing life beyond college. And um, we're curious about like that transition from what you knew as rowers moving into your new adventure here. So we've got you here today to talk about the world's toughest row. And I mean, this is a big, big deal rowing across mid-Pacific. There are just a handful of ocean rowing races every year. Can you tell us about the world's toughest row and what's the route? I'll take it. Uh, So world's toughest row, there's two. There's the Atlantic and there's the Pacific. And we are obviously doing the Pacific. Um, It is 2,800 miles from Monterey Bay, California to Hanalei Bay in Kauai. So it's unsupported. We will carry everything that we need to make the crossing from food to our water maker to our supplies, backup supplies. Everything is in the boat. And there's going to be probably around 20 other teams, maybe even up to 30 other teams all launching together on the same day racing across the ocean and what is that day june 12 2024 you've got about 10 months 10 more months of training and prep 309 days (laughs) (laughs) ellen's keeping track though (laughs) yeah 
So I got the opportunity to see rower adventurer named Jordan Hansen, and he built a two-person skull that rode oceans. And I got to see this boat in person, and I know how incredible these hulls are and incredible just the design of them and how people can live in them. So can you tell us about your boat? Well, it's still being built. So mm-hmm. I just paid an invoice for shipping today, and hopefully it will be finished and get shipped soon. We have a Rannock boat, which is built in the UK, and it's going to take about two months to be shipped. And we're, at, we're shipping it to California, um, where we're going to do most of our training rows there. And we hope to have it there by mid to late October. We're knocking on some wood here because a lot of things, there's a lot of moving parts with shipping. And um, we're a little nervous on that first trip with our boat because we haven't seen it. So Rannoch is probably the like top ocean rowing boat builder. Probably like 90% of the boats that do the world's toughest row on the Pacific and the Atlantic are using some sort of Rannoch boat. They have solos, doubles. We have a, a boat that's meant for four people. Some people do five people in it. Some people do three people in it. Um, they are 29 feet and it's got a cabin on each end, three rowing positions in the middle. Like That's about it. It's a, a small little boat, but uh, it has, fits everything we need. And we ended up going with their newest book called the RX-45, um, which I believe, fact check this for me, Hannah, the first crossing um, in an RX-45 just happened for the Pacific. So it's very new. The kind of, you know, tried and true is the R-45 version, but um, the X in it is pretty much means that it's a little bit longer, uh, a little bit sleeker, faster, and fully carbon fiber version. So it's really meant for yeah. surfing those waves and uh, catching a little bit more speed with the the trade winds. Yeah. That's cool. That's a it feels very exposed uh, looking boat. It's very long. It has some safety looking ropes along the sides and three stations. Wow. We'd be tied into the boat at all times. For safety. Wow. So which one of you first said, I think I want to row the world's toughest row? Well, Hunter and I both had that thought independently before we decided to team up. And Phil, I don't think it was on his mind at all until <laughs> I was like, hey, you want to row across the ocean with me? And he was just like, yeah. I'm pretty sure you initially mentioned that there would be a fourth or you were looking to find a fourth crew member. Yeah, we started off with four, so we want to do a two men, two women mixed team. Our other man, Will, had to drop out because of some work. So we're currently recruiting if anybody is crazy enough to want to uh, to join us. Yeah, I'd be curious, like, what's your pitch? You know, like, come join us for 2,000 miles of (laughs) And not only what is your pitch, but what are you looking for out of a rower? What sort of experience do you hope that they would have that they could bring to your crew? We just spent a lot of time working through all this. You don't necessarily have to be the best rower. Like we all have, it's great that we all have rowing backgrounds, but a lot of the really great boats, people may have never touched an oar sometimes. So I think like we're looking for more so like their personality their characteristics like are they excited to learn are they you know willing to step up like there's obviously a huge element of trust would it be great to find someone who could kind of like help 
diversify the boat a little bit, maybe someone with offshore experience. We kind of work through like a really great punch list of, you know, where are our strengths between the three of us? What are we maybe missing? But it's, I think that like in many cases having, say, say we had the fastest team of rowers, flatwater rowers, there's a good chance we could come in dead last or not even make it to fly. Yeah. Ocean rowing is not won by perfect form and crisp rowing skills. It's more with tenacity and certain personality. And yeah, like Hunter said, there's been a lot of success with basically almost adventure athletes that are not rowers um, have had tremendous success in the past. So, And there's been some Olympians that have had not so good success. They might... Uh, you know, burn themselves out. If you dig yourself in a hole physically and mentally too early in the race, there's really no time to recover. You know, if you have 20, 30 more days and you're done, it's very hard to get out of the hole. What skill set are you looking for right now? Like if you put all your skill sets into a matrix and said, you know, oh, this person knows first aid and this person, you know what I mean? Like, what's the skill set that you're looking for right now? So we all do have to complete quite a few requirements for World Step as Road to even be allowed to start, which includes like first aid um, certification, water survival certification, navigation, BHF radio. So we, we learn all the skills and we also have probably the best ocean rowing coach out there as our ocean rowing coach, Duncan. So while we're looking at skills like someone who had a lot of like medical background would be helpful would make me feel more comfortable out there or sailing experience those kind of things are added bonus for sure but the number one thing that we need is someone who fits with our personality and part of that is we do want to be super competitive so they have to match our level of drive and perform well there are teams, I'm sure, who head out to do this row and just hope to finish. But you have a goal of setting a world record. Why and which world record is that? I think that actually circles right back to uh, Phil's advice, Phil's best rowing advice. <laughs> what was it again, Phil? Uh, I don't remember which one you're talking about. Like the, the, a lot of dumb it's, advice. It's really, <laughs> oh, the one you just brought up about what your coach said during an erg test is it's going to hurt. Oh, it, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be painful. It's going to almost, yeah, you reach your limit in pain. It's going to hurt the same. So yeah, you might as well have a good, you know, good row out of it. Exactly. I feel like what's great about the three of us is we all kind of have the same mindset as far as flat water, like collegiate rowing, where it's fun to be competitive. And like, we love to try hard. We love to work hard. And why, why, why would we go out there and just do it for fun when we could have fun while working our butts off? So um, I think that's like a pretty key component for also finding our fourth teammate is someone who wants to be competitive, who wants to put everything on the line. Like, let's do this, do everything possible, at least. You know, there are so many factors that we can't control, yeah. like weather and even if equipment breaks or something. But the current world record that was actually just set this year for the mix for is 34 days and i'm sure hannah knows the hours <laughs> yeah eight hours and 22 minutes yeah so and we're that... looking for somebody that not only wants to be competitive but has the time um mm -hmm. to be competitive what we've learned you know through the last six months of this process is it really takes 
a lot of time in the prep work, more time than we had originally thought or even imagined. And a lot of teams, the hardest part is, you know, not the row, it's getting to the starting line because there's just a lot of logistics and everything. And, you know, to circle back to one of the things that got me, you know, I said teamwork is one of the things that I loved about rowing and got me hooked. But one of the things that really kept me going is just how simple it is in the fact that the work you put in generally results in, you know, the results of your race, almost one-to-one. With some sports, upsets are frequent. With rowing, you know, whoever put in the work generally wins. Now, there are sometimes upsets on very close things, but the race is won and lost before the start line, you know, 90% of the time. And that's one of the beauties of it where you can put in the work and you know you're going to win or you know you're going to do well. Now, ocean rowing is different because with weather, you know, you don't know anything. People I've known who've done Ironman, like the full Ironman, it's a it's a part-time job, you know, or, or a full-time job for some people um, to really put in the time and the hours. So carving that out and the website says you'll face sleep deprivation, hallucinations, hunger, and it's the ultimate test of body and mind. So if you're the type of person that says yes to that and win, contact and Phil and Hunter. Definitely. I don't imagine anybody loves the sleep deprivation, hallucinations, and, you know, hyper emotional stress you get when you lack sleep. But hopefully we can deal with that. I'm a massive fan of Courtney DeWalter, ultra runner, and she dives into the pain cave and she, she says she quote unquote loves the pain cave and she has hallucinations of leopards sleeping in hammocks and lots of sleep deprivation. So maybe look in the ultra marathon community. Definitely. Like we are, we're trying to kind of expand our horizons and look for other types of endurance athletes who, who like that suffering. Kind of the key. You got to like it a little bit. Hannah, you were talking before about who you're looking for, maybe someone um, who has sailing background, maybe someone who has a medical background. Hunter, you were talking about someone finding someone who's super competitive. Besides this competitive drive that all three of you have, what would you say each of you individually are bringing to the world's toughest row and your Horizon Racing team? And I guess part B of that is have you determined kind of roles? Uh, Hunter, I know that you've done a lot of creative media work do you know that you're going to be doing the social media and marketing for the team hannah i know that you've been a coach so we we have roles um kind of before the row and then we'll have you know roles during the row and those could be and probably will be different so our specific roles during the row we haven't set in stone until we do a few of our longer training sessions and kind of get a feel for how we react together on the overnight training sessions with our coach and with some of his advice now. Also kind of waiting to see if we haven't done our navigation course yet and our radio course yet. And if somebody ends up really, you know, like loving a certain part more, then they'll probably be the number one for that thing. Everything We'll have multiple people because there's also a chance that someone's just debilitated with seasickness and 
and sure. uh, that sec- second person has to step right. in. And yeah, we're all going to have to learn everything because you never know, you know, watching some of the other documentaries, somebody could get seasick and have to be pulled because they get too deep in the in the cave of dehydration that they can't get out of. So you never know. Yeah, yeah. so we're, we're trying to kind of figure out all of those roles. And then pre-row, we've a lot of the stuff we're kind of doing as a team, I think we've fallen into bringing whatever our more like professional skill sets are to the table. Phil's handling all of the like finances and doing the accounting. He got us our 501c3 status all approved. I'm kind of managing more of the like campaign logistics, being the point person with our coaches and our um, contact at World Step is Row, that kind of thing. And then Hunter's our creative genius and she's creating amazing videos and photos and content which is just absolutely key to the sponsorship part which we haven't talked about yet but that is another humongous hurdle that we have to face is raising the funds to do this row which the tally is around $250,000 wow so big adventures like this are really really inspiring and you're heading into this with a larger purpose. Could you talk about Laureus Sport from Good? Yeah, Laureus is our charity partner. So as we're doing this row, we're trying to raise money to donate to our charity. We're also trying to work with Laureus to use what we're doing as something that can inspire young people, create more access to sports and specifically rowing with young people. So beyond just donating, we really want to be actually in the field, helping teach people, getting them comfortable with rowing and um, inspiring them to live big and try something new. So. I don't really know much about Laureus. Yeah, they are involved in, I believe, all sports. Rowing, you know, isn't a wildly popular sport and a lot of people don't know that it exists in your backyard. And so I kind of love, I personally love the connection of getting kids into rowing because a lot of people just don't know that it's an option. I believe Hannah actually had the kind of primary connection because Laureus is, has a couple kind of home bases in the U.S. and one of them is New Orleans. And we were just there for a training trip to uh, get some of our certifications done together in person, um, one of which was the uh, sea survival and then the first aid course. And um, we kind of tied that in with doing a kind of fundraising event, charity event at ErgoFit with the Laureus New Orleans chapter um, where they brought in some kids to learn how to, or just to really hop on the erg and, you know, kind of get the basics of rowing from Phil, but then to also chat with folks from the Tulane Center for Sport, learn a little bit more about like aspects of hydration and like refueling. And so Hannah logistically put together this like perfect day where we got, also got to talk a little bit about ocean rowing. So everything from hopping on an erg and doing legs, body, arms, arms, body, legs to here's what we're doing. Like, here's what you can do, because it's really cool, I think, for kids to see like, yeah, there is flat water rowing, but you can also get into coastal. You can get into ocean rowing. Like there are all kinds of different routes and opportunities within the sport itself. So are you looking for companies and individuals as well to sponsor the boat? Yeah, we're um, looking for like corporate sponsors. Individuals are welcome to sponsor. Really, anybody can uh, 
donating free to this cause if they're interested. You can sponsor a mile and get a little shout out from us while we're in the ocean. But our biggest goal is to get some bigger corporate sponsors on board. We have a lot of things we can offer back to companies who are interested in sponsoring not only our donations tax deductible because we're a 501c3, but we've got packages that allow companies to have brand exposure with their logo on our boat at our charity gala after we finish the race. We'll have sponsorship opportunities there. And then also we will be creating content for companies based on their needs if they sponsor us. So like if it was Cheez-Its, we can create a little ocean rowing commercial. Hunter will do her magic and uh, Cheez-Its will have, have some cool Cheez-It plus ocean rowing content. You definitely, um, need, I definitely need to see this in, in next year. You need to have a box of Cheez-Its out there in the middle of the right. with you. And Hannah's like munching on the Cheez-Its. I, I love just the th- image of that. Now, Hannah will yeah. regardless of <laughs> any. Say, they don't, don't tell them if they don't. We're still bringing Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you know, now we have to tag them in when we yeah. post this podcast. So, hey, I've tried reaching out. They haven't answered me yet. So, if anyone knows okay. Uh, okay. someone from Jesus, we'll 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 wrap our whole boat in orange. Oh, <laughs> it can be called the Jesus. Oh, I love it. There's a lot on the table for uh, those title sponsors. <laughs> okay. All right. So, folks are interested in sponsoring you. They can check out your website, right? Horizonracing.com. Horizon Racing USA. Excuse me, USA.com. We'll make sure to link to that from our website in the episode page. We touched a little bit on training. I'd like to kind of loop back to that. Do you mind, Tara, if we head back there? For yeah. A this is ginormous. We've touched on the fact that it's 2,800 miles across the open ocean. You're heading from California to Hawaii. I know, and Tara knows, and I think you probably all know folks who have been involved in endurance racing of some sort and how it can take up a huge chunk of your life. For some of us, that might mean a three-month uh, training plan. For you all, I think this is extended quite long into your lives. When did training begin? What did it look like at that time? It was after Sarasota Invitational. Oh, so it's like February or March. That's when we started working with our specific ocean rowing performance trainer who's mm-hmm. been giving us all of our lifting, endurance workouts, and then also big focus on mobility. Yeah. So that's about 15 months before, 15, 16 months before the race. Um, we started, we're doing a lot of, uh, different weightlifting, um, trying to build some muscle and mobility. It's basically trying to prevent injury in addition to, you know, insane amounts of steady state as much as we have time for. Yeah, that makes sense. You can't just hop in a boat and go. The body needs to be trained up. How will training build over the next 309 days uh, until you uh, shove off from shore in Monterey? So one of the biggest things is actually training in the boat, which we haven't had the opportunity to yet. And we haven't done, you know, shifts. The main shift pattern would be two hours on, two hours off, you know, six times a day. So that's not something we would do now in training up but um when we're on the boat we would 12 times a day you do it all 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 day all day there's a small but growing number of rowers who have crossed oceans now it's it's not a ton but 
enough that I've seen some other podcasts out there about it, and as well as some rowers who've written blogs about it. And I came across one today and she outlined a general day out in the ocean. It was like 12 hours of rowing, two hours of not rowing, but preparing to row, two more hours of eating and preparing to eat, maybe five hours of sleeping. What are each of you looking forward to and what are you most nervous about at this point? I'm really looking forward to being out there with just the only thing we have to do is survive. Like the simplicity of that, just you're rowing or you're eating or sleeping or maybe fixing something like you've got one goal and just keep moving forward. There's not going to be any Slack messages. There's not going to be like emails. Just all the like, get rid of all that noise and be out there in the middle of the ocean. I can totally relate, you know, with four kids, you know, juggling jobs and multiple jobs and training, which is a job and getting ready, everything going on. Life is chaotic. So the just simple race of just rowing in the ocean, under the stars, without, I'm really looking forward to a sky without light pollution. I can't, it's been years since I've seen a good, uh, good night stars with the Milky Way and everything. Several years ago now, I learned about the International Dark Sky Association. Have you heard of them, Phil? No. Oh, you should check it out. I think I'm on the same track as both Phil and Hannah. I'm really looking forward to, this is going to sound kind of weird, but being in like a quiet place. I feel like the world is so connected and it's loud and it's chaotic and there's a lot going on in life. So I'm I'm excited to be on the water. Like the ocean is truly my happy place. Um, it's almost like a religious experience. So I feel like to be out there for, you know, 30 plus days sounds sounds incredible. Um what am, what was it? What am I most scared of? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, we we think about amazing sunsets and swimming with dolphins, but, but we know it's going to be challenging as well. When you're thinking about being out there, what's the spectrum of emotion there and and what's exciting and what's what's challenging to consider? Yeah, I think, you know, when we got together for our training, the sea survival course and the three of us plus two other individuals who were in the class got to climb into a life raft. Your brain definitely starts moving a million miles an hour about all the ways that that could happen. But I think, you know, the my biggest fear is kind of what we don't know. So right now, like, yeah, we're 10 months out, but what we're hoping to do is just prep and kind of learn about every scenario, learn about what has happened, how have people handled it. So the unknown is kind of Maybe what scares me a little bit, rowing at night, I'm super excited for the stars, 100%. But I, if we get into some like kind of unruly seas in the middle of the night, that, that'll, be, that'll be interesting for sure. The reality is, is like there's going to be some really tough night shifts, day shifts, bad winds, waves that are not favorable for us. Like getting off that continental shelf is supposed to be the hardest part. You're really just getting battered for a week to start the race. So trying to balance the excitement of the things we're looking forward to with the expectation management that like every day isn't going to be a, a sunset and a sunrise. Uh, good. There's going to be some tough days in between. So yeah, but it'll trying, make those sunsets even sweeter, right? It right? will. But, and 
basically self-preservation and trying to prevent injuries and keep your hands from getting infected and everything. Basically, once, you know, once we're a few days offshore, the quickest route, if something bad happens, the quickest way to get out of it is to finish and row to Hawaii. So if we're in a tough situation, the way out is to finish the race. So if you get in a really bad spot, basically you have to, you know, endure it unless it's literally life or death. Because if you get picked up, if you have to be rescued, we could be picked up in by a boat that's taking four months to go somewhere else. I think something I am looking forward to is is getting all that knowledge and like getting able to check off the boxes of like, okay, I feel confident in how to handle everything. So I'm excited. I don't feel that way at all right now. I feel completely overwhelmed and uh, unaware of everything. But as we get our boat and practice and training, I think I want to be on that start line feeling like we can take whatever comes at us. Well, that's a great segue. You know, as rowers, we really like our checklists and we like that journey for perfection. We like to seek out that perfect stroke. There's a lot of unknown, no matter when you row or how you row, but how are you going to be able to, or what's it going to be like to let go of that seeking of the perfect stroke and seeking off the coast and as you get further into the ocean? What's that going to be like to let that go? That's going to be really, really tough, I think, in some ways. I mean, coming from like flat water collegiate rowing, where it's easy to break up 2,000 meters into, you know, four or five hundreds and kind of compartmentalize things and look at it. Well, okay, we had a like hard first 500, you know, we'll go faster in the second half. We'll do this. We'll do that. We've got a game plan. It's a long race. And I think kind of approaching it with the same mindset, like, all right, we're going to have like the first, instead of it being 500 meters, the first two and a half weeks are going to be absolutely brutal like horrible. And that that is the point in time where we're all probably going to look at each other and go, why on earth are we doing this? What have I done? I want to swim back to shore. <laughs> I want to get off this boat ASAP. But I think that knowing that it's going to get better, knowing that it's going to be that much sweeter, like you really, really have to earn it in the Pacific is what we've kind of heard is just getting off the coast of California. It's so rewarding once you make it. As soon as you have the trade winds at your back, you are just rocking and rolling to Hawaii. And I think that mentally prepping and knowing like it is going to be hard and it is going to be harder than what you can even prep for. Um, whatever you think it is, it's going to be that times a million will be the biggest key approach to making this as doable as possible. Another aspect of training is kind of the mental training. So we've been working with a really, really great coach, Sally Kettle. She has rode the Atlantic how many times, Hannah? At I, least twice. twice. Yeah, twice. Yeah. twice. And so she's got a world of knowledge to share as far as like kind of the mental aspect of breaking down um, situations and how how will each of us approach it? How will we know if Hannah's having a tough day, what does she need? If I'm stressed, like how do I respond? Do I go silent? Taking these situations and learning how to compartmentalize and how to handle them. Also, like how as a team, we can stay a unit. So like if Hunter's having a rough time, like and she gets quiet, like we already know, Phil and I know, okay, Hunter needs to eat and have a hug. We have these tools ready to go so we can help each other 
as a unit. Something's wrong with Bill. Something's wrong with me. We're one. I'm curious. I, I remember watching in that losing side. I'm sure someone celebrated a birthday while they were aboard. Is anybody having a birthday while you're supposed to be out on the water or any special occasion? I think Bill's yeah. anniversary, right? You're- yeah. Yeah, my 21st <laughs> wedding anniversary. Nice. You're gonna. Um, you'll make up for it on 22. And that. I'm, and that I'm means- giving her a trip to Hawaii to meet me. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> we will spend the fourth of july on the boat so that should be fun maybe we'll light a flare he's one of your know. flares yeah <laughs> we'll we'll use up all our rescue flares and we'll use yeah. all of our flares <laughs> oh this actually tara i know you wanted to ask about like what you bring on the boat you know oh yeah yeah so typically in these kinds of events um i what i've seen is that so everybody gets to bring like one like little memento from home or one your favorite little talisman you know or something do you guys know haven't i have been thinking about what you're gonna bring i think hannah said cheese it was her that's, that's that, like yeah. that's not well i don't know I'm just no, that's her love language <laughs> that's right yeah. but, but, oh, hannah, hannah said give her a cheese it <laughs> you have to ration them <laughs> yeah probably um i don't have anything specifically yet but i'm sure i'll bring something that like reminds me of my family the bigger things is actually, you know, food. So the majority of our food is dehydrated. So from what I hear, that little bit of normal food is is big things a few, you know, weeks in. Yeah, so like, definitely. for example, a can of peaches. We can't bring a lot of that because it's heavy. We're trying to be light and fast. But like if once a week or when you hit like 500 miles, you, you get your can of peaches. Apparently, that's like the most gratifying, yeah. uh, amazing reward that you could ever have. So we'll, we'll definitely be having all those little ways to celebrate our milestones. One yes. of the things our uh, mentor, Sally Kettle, always is telling us is, how do you eat an elephant? And she says, little bites at a time. So celebrating those little milestones, thinking like, we did 100 miles, we did 100 miles, instead of we have 2,800 miles left. 2700 to go let's yeah. take uh, but yeah. like well, you know, when you, yes when you okay. already know as rowers right like hunter was talking about before with two k's in college and and one k's and five k's it's masters rowers we all play those mental games you know breaking down the workout but uh, this is just much bigger segment that you're breaking down it's going to be really exciting to hit each one of those milestones i kind of had one big wrap-up question tara do you mind if i go ahead with that sure all right. We've talked about, you know, what you're looking forward to, or we've talked about training. We've talked about um, fundraising and Laurier Sport for Dead. What do each of you personally want to get out of this row? And how do you think you'll use this experience afterwards? I think other than getting the absolute adventure of a lifetime out of this row, I think it's a really special opportunity because my hope is that I'll walk away with what started as literally three strangers to turn into like three lifelong friends who I hope to have involved in my life for the rest of time. I think that's really, really unique. On top of it, a huge reason why I'm doing it is because my dad sailed to Hawaii when I was younger. And I see how that has truly changed and impacted who he is to this day. Um, A lot of his passions and his personality traits, I feel like kind of evolved from that experience. And turned him into like the incredible dad that he is today. And um, I don't have kids, but I hope that one day, you know, I can inspire them to do whatever it is that they want to do. 
And if it's by means of me doing it, or if someday, you know, Phil goes off and rows around the world solo or something, they can see that Phil did it. So I think it's a really cool way to bring four people together from wildly different backgrounds and sit down and do one thing for 30 days. I think there's there's a lot of things that you can walk away from this kind of experience with, but I'm sure there's things that I will have never imagined that, you know, will kind of catch up to me on the other side as well. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I think we're all going to learn something about ourselves and we don't even know what we're going to learn by doing it. But there's a reason it's appealing to all of us. Most people don't want to do this. So something something about it is, is calling all of us. And personally, I don't really, I don't know exactly what it is, but I feel like I've got something to prove myself and hopefully I'll, I'll figure, figure that out a little bit more. I've got have a long time to think about it i want to do it to show my daughter that i can do it that at the same time it's also going to impact her so i feel like a little torn between the two things of like leaving her to go do this kind of selfish dangerous endeavor but hopefully in the end it is like hunter and her dad and it's something that she can take and then go to space or climb a mountain or do whatever she thinks she wants to do it's the challenge and the adventure, and there is no real bigger rowing challenge out there right now. So I think that's kind of one of the things that's appealing to all of us, especially me. I love what you're saying about you know being able to do something and then bring those experiences to maybe the next generation or to be able to inspire other folks. You know, we were recently talking with a rower named Bobby Kaiser, who's out at Spokane. And was talking about, you know, if you see it, you can be it. And I think a lot of us have had those experiences ourselves. You know, someone else has done something that has inspired us. So even if we know it or not, there's something that's led us all to where we are today. And I love that each one of you is being a a leader here and hopefully inspiring other folks through what you're doing. So thank you for talking with us about your training and your excitement about getting involved in this event. And um, we know you've got a bunch of months yet, so we would like to check back in, see how training is going, see what you're learning along the way, and then maybe check in with you too afterwards and see how, how it went and what the big lessons learned were and what you've been able to walk away with. Yeah, it'd be really fun to check in next spring. Yeah, we'll have been on our boat, really get into the grind of the real training. I'm sure we'll have some different opinions and ideas and uh, a little change of perspective. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, still smiling. Yeah, oh, yeah. and yeah. hopefully we'll yeah. have a have a fourth teammate at that point too. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. well, thank you so much. We've really uh, enjoyed this, and we can't wait to talk with y'all again soon. All right. Well, yeah. thank you, Hannah, Philip, and Hunter. It's been great getting to know you, and uh, we hope to talk with you again soon. Thank you very much. Okay. Real goodbye. Real goodbye. And you. Goodbye. Bye. To see photos of Hannah, Philip, and Hunter, and to get links to the people, clubs, and events mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes on our website. Steady Seat Podcast is sponsored in part by RowSource, providing creative design services for clubs, organizations, and regattas. Begin your free consultation at rowsource.com. Hey, Tara, I think some listeners might not know that Steady State is more than a podcast. Yeah, we also get together on Instagram Live for coffee chat 
every Friday morning at 8 a.m. West, 11 East. We bring that post-practice coffee with teammates vibe online to talk with the community about all things rowing. Grab your favorite mug and add your voice to the conversation. And get more info when you subscribe to our weekly e-newsletter. This episode was written, produced, hosted, and edited by me, Tara Morgan. And me, Rachel Friedman. Tara provides additional audio engineering and is our sponsored coordinator. Rachel manages our website, social media, and e-newsletter. Our theme music is by Jonas Hipper. Between us, we have nearly 40 years of rowing, coaching, and coxing experience. Tara is based on Dashon Island, Washington. She founded Seize the Oar Foundation in 2010. She's fanatic about coaching Learn to Row and believes the pair is the best boat. Rachel is a longtime rower, coach, and coxswain in Washington, D.C. She's the owner of Row Source and is a tiny bit squeamish about sculling. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at Steady State Network, Seize the Oar, and Row Source. Steady State Podcast is made possible with listener support. Become a patron today for early access to episodes, discounts on SSN swag, and invitations to patron-only events. Join us at SteadyStateNetwork.com slash Patreon. Catch new episodes of Steady State Podcast every other weekend, anywhere you get podcasts. In two, way enough, that's one, two. One more time. Okay, yeah. so we're gonna, you know, you say hi, and then uh, so Hannah's gonna start, and you're gonna say hi. We're Hannah Huppy. Phil comes in, says his name, and then Hunter says and Hunter Duel. Hunter, if you could finish the rest of that sentence, and you're listening to Steady State podcast, and then all three of you come together and say sit ready. Oh, okay. Does that makes sense. I'm following. This is really okay. gonna tense our uh, our team teamwork. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How many tries mm-hmm. do we get? You get as many as you need. Oh my god, you're so awkward. <laughs> I don't know. Thank you so much for having us on your podcast. All right, you're you are welcome. Let's talk again soon. Okay. Thanks. They t- totally fine. We'll, we'll edit. It's fine. Okay. Fine. Yeah, yeah. Keep going around saying thank you. Our set is going to be just as long as our normal one. <laughs> Wait. <laughs>